Father God, we love you. We praise you. We thank you so much for all the incredible uh, uh, blessings that we can't even mention all of them that you give us in this life. Just the simple fact that we have life and that we have breath today is an absolute gift from you, and we praise you for that, Lord. So we ask now, Lord, that as we gather in your name for your glory, for your praise, for your honor, that you will be present and that you will lead us, that you will guide us, that you will open our hearts, that you will convict us of areas in our life where we are still lost in sin. Whether If we're not a Christian, we need to confess. If we are a Christian, we can still find ourselves falling down into these paths of, of, of walking back into our sinful ways because we've got this nature in us that is always drawing us away and out of alignment with you. So God, I pray that your Holy Spirit come and that you will guide us and lead us and equip us and fill us and convict us and always do what you do best and as point us to Jesus. So Lord, as we break into some maybe a sensitive, difficult topics today, uh, Lord, I pray for grace that you will help me as your preacher today and uh, that you will uh, be the leader of all of it. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, welcome to week four of the Margin series. I'm excited that you are here tonight for coming out to church to worship with us. Uh, we've been working through this series called Margin, making space for what matters most. Week one, we talked about just simply creating margin in our life for what matters most to us in our values, in our regular life, in our spiritual life, in our walk with Lord, what really matters to God in our life and the importance of creating margin rather than letting the world creep in and take away what is really important to us and kind of push that off the page. And then the second week we talked about scheduling margin and the importance of having time in our days for what matters most and making that a priority so that the rest of our day and the rest of our life can hit this pattern where, where we're not just ignoring the things of God, but we're centralizing and focusing on the things of God. And then last week, if you were here, last week was a lot of fun. We talked about financial margin. I love that, talking about finding financial margin in our life for what really matters to God, making room so that we can use the blessings that he's given us uh, to be more generous, to, to, to put on our budget the values that really matter to us in our life and in our walk with the Lord and things that matter to the Lord. So when we started this series, um, you, you maybe didn't think of the, the topic for today being moral margin. Maybe moral margin wasn't something that came quickly to your mind, but it's a very important thing. And, and I wanna take this down a path that might be a little bit difficult for some of us, might be a little uncomfortable for some of us, but very much important and very much biblical because we don't just, I don't, I don't know what church is like for you, but I, uh, the American church has this bad habit of entertainment, of uh, you're only going to come if you if I'm tickling your ears, maybe tell some funny jokes, kind of kind of show some cute videos, and have the really cool graphics and bumper videos and all this stuff. And we all think, okay, we gather together um, for for entertainment and consumption. But you know, you know, the at the end of the day, while all of that stuff is fine and good, and we do some of those things, I want to do some of those things. I want to have fun at church, right? But at the end of the day. 
we are teaching God's word, and sometimes God's word is going to kind of rub you the wrong way. Kind of like, oh, wait a second, I'm not living right. Oh, wait a second, I'm not living in perfect alignment with my Savior. Wait a minute, not quite holy yet, need to eradicate this from my life, right? Like if we're not doing that, then we might as well go home and watch someone on the internet, Okay, so this is so important that we get into these kind of things. So, um, so I apologize in the most unapologetic way possible. Thank you for being here. We're going to talk about something really fun tonight, really challenging tonight. Moral margin. So if you've got your Bibles with you, uh, we're going to put it on the screen too. You can open up to, we're going to start with James chapter 1. James chapter 1. I love James. James is pretty hard-hitting So James chapter 1. Now one of the things that I've been doing throughout this series is at the beginning of the message, I've been asking you to raise your hands in a response to uh, certain questions. And I want to do that today with one question. But before you raise your hands, before you participate in this, I want you to think about it and I want you to let it sink in And and so don't raise your hand right now, but the question that I'm going to ask you here in a minute is how many of you know someone, now remember, wait, don't, don't raise your hand yet. How many of you know someone whose life has been wrecked by sexual sin? Think about that. How many of you know someone whose life has been torn apart, left in shambles by sexual sin? For example, let me just get you thinking, okay? Like I said, so maybe some things that you don't like, words you don't like to hear in church, right? So let me give you some things to get you thinking. So someone struggling with pornography, struggling with all of these images on a computer screen that begins to take over their mind and eventually seep into every area of their life and wreck it in a significant way. Someone who has sex before marriage, they get pregnant, they panic, they abort the child, and now they're living with that regret versus maybe the person who does the same thing and instead of aborting, they decide, now I'm gonna marry this jerk even though I don't like him just because he's the dad, right? And they live with that. Or, or maybe somebody who's haunted by sexual disease after a one-night stand or something. Maybe someone who has this promiscuous lifestyle and they're constantly in and out of relationships. And then they got married and they come into marriage with all of this baggage and all of this comparison and all of this expectation and all of this fear. Maybe someone who had an affair that they didn't plan on having, but then all of a sudden one day they wake up and they realize that their marriage is in jeopardy because of sexual sin. Now, during the famous 2015, you guys will be familiar with this, right? During the famous 2015 hack of AshleyMadison.com, you remember that in the news? That was big news for quite a while. It's a dating site that literally exist. It was started literally only for married people to help them have affairs. That's the whole purpose. And in 2015, that site was hacked. And at the time that it was hacked, they had 40 million accounts. 40 million. That's 40 million, not just men, but women as well, who are on this site specifically for that reason. So, so let me ask you again, with all of those things spinning around in your mind, 
This is no filter day, right? With all of those things spinning around in your mind, how many of you know someone whose life has been wrecked by sexual sin? Someone, just about everyone in the room, right? Someone who has been wrecked by sexual sin. Now, you know what's interesting to me? You know what's interesting to me? And, and, and even the people with Ashley Madison accounts would agree with this. Nobody says, okay, you know what? One of my five-year goals this year, you know what I'm going to do in the next five years? I'm going to wreck my life through sexual sin. I got a plan, right? Like, I got this. Like, all right, here's what's happening, right? I'm going to ruin my life, and it's all going to be driven by this one sin. Now, you don't hear anybody say, you know what? I plan on one day getting so addicted to pornography and polluting my mind so bad that it ruins my life and ruins my energy and ruins my personality. No one says, hey, you know what? If I play my cards right, if I play my cards right, maybe I can fall into some kind of sexual deal to the point that it causes me to lose my job or better yet, lose my marriage or better yet, lose the respect in the relationship I have with my kids. Nobody makes that plan, right? Nobody says, this is who I wanna be. I don't know anybody that thinks that, who wants that, right? But yet that happens all of the time. All of the time, all over the place, doesn't it? And yet every time that the tragedy hits, what do we say? What do we think? What, what, what's, what, what are the words that come out of the mouth so often? I never thought it would happen to me. I never thought it would happen to me. I didn't think I was capable of that. Or, or maybe I didn't think that it was going to get that bad. Or I didn't think that I was going to get caught, right? But see, what all of these sexual tragedies, all of these entail, all of these have in common is that at some point, at some point, the guilty party has lacked moral margin. They lacked moral margin. They didn't take it seriously enough to distance themselves. So what is moral margin? Here's my working definition for you. It's on your bulletin and it's on the screen. Moral margin is putting distance between you and temptation. Putting distance between you and temptation. We all need it. We all need it. We all need to be proactive in minimizing opportunities for temptation as best we can and therefore deciding in advance how we will respond when temptation comes our way. I ask you to open up to, to James chapter 1. He has some great verses on temptation James chapter 1, verses 13 through 15 says this. It says, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desires. Then desire when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Now, a couple of weeks ago, uh, we talked about how we are all in our sin nature, always in this 
at this, this, this strain that we have where we're, we, we wanna be in line with God. I wanna live holy and righteous. I wanna live in God's will. I wanna do what God is calling me to do. I wanna be who he is calling me to be. I wanna be more Christ-like, but yet we have this sin nature in us that is constantly pulling us and constantly luring us away from being on track for the things of God. See, God's word says we are Lord and we are enticed by what? by our own desires, by our sin nature. The word, um, we'll play a little bit of Greek here today for you. Um, Greek is the, uh, most of the New Testament was originally written in Koine Greek. So that's where the Greek comes from. Uh, bad news for English speakers, it just, Paul did not write the Bible in English. So we have to translate. So the English, or the, the Greek word for enticed is Delazio, which means to entrap, to allure, to entice, or to hook. To hook. Literally, this is a fishing term that they use to catch bait with. Your spiritual enemy is trying to hook you. Trying to hook you. You guys are fishermen, right? He's trying to hook you. He's trying to hook you. You're enticed. You're, you're going to be hooked by your, your sin nature. So that, trying to hook you so that something would cause you to sin so that that sin is born. And then because that sin is born and then continues to be fed, it continues to grow and grow and grow. And whenever it's fully grown, James says, it brings forth death. It brings forth death. We're enticed and we're lured and we're baited and we're hooked. But remember, I never thought it would happen to me. It wouldn't happen to me. I'm above that. But almost every hand in the room went up when you said you know somebody whose life has been wrecked by sexual sin. Amazing, isn't it? Now here's what's happening. Now, I spent some years um, growing up in youth group at church, going to college, go to a Christian college, spend time in church, spend time in Bible study, spend a lot of time around other Christians, uh, a lot of time at Treehouse Youth Ministry working with kids, youth works, uh, youth and missions ministry working with kids, um, just any time that I've been in church. And I can tell you, one of the most common questions whenever somebody starts dating someone is, how far can I go? You didn't know we were going to go there today, did you? How far can I go? In other words, right? In other words, okay, if there's a line somewhere, if there's a line somewhere that I'm not supposed to cross, I want to know where it is because where, wherever that line is, I'm going to walk right up to it. And I'm going to, I mean, you know? I want to know where the line is. How far is too far? Because I'm going to that line and I'm looking over the edge to see what's happening, right? Because there's something on the other side of the line, probably, probably pretty good, right? But there is in no other area of our life do we live like that. This is crazy to me. We're enticed, we're lured to be hooked so that sin will be birthed and sin will grow up to death. In no other area of our life do we live like that. For example, I don't, I don't, see, a, I don't see a copperhead out in the woods and I walk up and I'm like, just kind of like, 
grab him by the tail and let's see how long I can spin him before he gets me, right? I don't do that. I don't, I don't, you know, walk over, you know, go, go over, go over to a cliff or go over to the Grand Canyon. Just like walk up to the edge and say, how close can I get before it's over, right? I don't do that. You know, I don't, I don't, I don't pull out the 45 and put, put three rounds in it and flip it and hold it to my head and say, how many times can I do this before it's over, right? Like how many times? We don't do that. We don't play with fire and, and play with death like that. We don't like to walk the line so close to tragedy and things like that when we're going to lose our physical life. But why do we do that with moral margin? Why do we do that with sexual sin? Why do you do that with sexual sin? Why do we play with fire? When clearly God says no. 1 Corinthians 6, Paul has some things to say about this. He says, flee from sexual immorality. Flee from sexual immorality. Now this is strong, 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 strong language. Flee. It's the only thing, the time that this happens. Flee. Let's go back to the Greek. Flee is fuego. Fuego. Fuego, it, it kind of sounds like a, like a cheap Mexican car or something, doesn't it? Fuego means to run away, to shun, to escape, to distance oneself. This is God's word saying when it comes to sexual sin, go, 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 get away, run away, leave it behind you and don't turn back. Let's get out of Dodge. The Bible doesn't ever say flee from overeating. The Bible doesn't ever say flee from gossip. It doesn't ever say flee from drunkenness. Although all of those things are sinful, the wise person doesn't say, how, can, how sexual can I be before it becomes immoral? How far can I go before it becomes wrong? No, the wise person is going to put significant margin and significant distance between themselves and sexual temptation. Now, anybody, nobody's saying this easy. Nobody's saying that, that because I'm up here talking about it that I've got this mastered. I'm just telling you what the Bible says. I'm just telling you God's expectation for us as followers of Christ. But why zero in on sexual temptation today when there are so many other kind of moral sins that we can talk about? So we're talking about moral margin, but why so much of the sex stuff, Right? Now here's, here's why. The reason is that, uh, is that it is one of, if not the most dangerous and most devastating. It is constantly, constantly taking out marriages, constantly devastating families, even tearing apart churches and ending pastors' careers nationwide all the time. It is a serious thing. And... Biblically speaking, which we like to do, right? Biblically speaking, there's actually a difference between sexual sin and other sins. 1 Corinthians 6, 8, here's the rest of that verse, 6, 18, the rest of that verse. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Well, you might say, well, well, well pastor, I thought all, all sins were the same. I thought sin's a sin's a sin's a sin. 
Now, actually, that sins are not all the same. Sins are the same in that they all separate us from God. The wages of sin is death. Every single sin, the wages of sin is death. But biblically, sins are not always the same in the eyes of God. And I can give you some very easy, just give you very easy practical arguments to prove that, uh, that all sin is not the same when it comes to practical consequences because all sins don't cost you the same. They don't all cost you the same. So like if I, if I tell a, a little white lie, that might not cost me anything. If I, if I go 10 miles per hour over the speed limit and coming down Indiana Hill and I get picked up at Joe's, that might cost me a ticket, might cost me some money, but in the grand scheme of things, has it really cost me anything? I can gossip and gossip and gossip, and it might cost me some friends. But in the grand scheme of things, what does it really cost me? But if you sin sexually, that can cost you your job, your marriage, your kids, your life, your self-esteem, your reputation. One bad sexual sin could cost you the rest of your life. It could cost your physical life, the length of your life. To all other sins are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against his own body. It is deeper than that. And the passage goes on. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Now you might read that and say, hey, it's, it's my body. I can do whatever I want to with my body. Don't tell me what I can and can't do with my body. Why is, why is God saying this? Why is the Bible telling this? Why is he creating parameters? I can do anything I want with my body. Now, if you're a believer, no. If you're a believer, no. The body is not for you to decide what to do with. You're actually a house of God. You are a dwelling place for the Holy Spirit. You have given your body to God and you are a house of God. See, the problem is that our culture, that society, the world is going to tempt us in countless ways to enter into sexual morality. So much, so much and so constant that you're going to say, that's not even wrong, is it? You're going to say, everybody else is doing it. What's the big deal? Why do I need margin between me and all the sex stuff? Aren't I supposed to have fun? I thought sex was a good thing. Absolutely sex is a good thing, right? All the married people are like, yes, it is. (laughs) Oh, yeah. It's a glorious blessing. Mm -hmm. My wife and I go home. We just just lay in bed and we read the Song of Solomon. It is glory, right? The ivory tower has risen, Right? We love that, right? It's glorious. It is a blessing. But it's meant to be experienced with parameters. It's meant to be experienced within parameters. It's a good thing. But when it's not a good thing, just like so many other things, when it's not good inside of God's blessings, it affects your body differently than other sins. It sticks with you. It's painful. It's emotional. And it is deeply spiritual. Deeply spiritual when we talk about the uniting of two bodies. And the effects are different and deeper and you'll carry it with you so much longer than you will just overeating and gorging yourself at the buffet. It's deeper than that. It's more important than that. It has a much greater chance of ruining your life. 
Now, I'm not going to go into personal story time, but I have gone down some of these routes, and I can tell you that it took me a long time to rebuild my self-esteem, to rebuild my lost joy, to rebuild and climb over these mountains of depression and anger because sexual sin does something so much deeper to us. And it is running rampant in our world of access to everything online, access to everything that we need. Now, here's an interesting verse as we try to move towards wrapping this up for you guys. Ephesians 5, 3 says, but among you, remember, written to Christians, written to the church in Ephesus, Paul writes this letter to Christians, but among you, there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or greed because these are improper for God's holy people. Now think about that. Think about that. Does God not put the bar of righteousness higher than we want him to sometimes? Higher than the world is telling us it should be? When Jesus kind of raises the bar and he talks about lust and adultery, not even a hint. See, the world's standards are low, 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 low. So low. Culture, society, oh, it's so low. Just get by. The world's gonna give you websites like Ashley Madison. Because why? Their tagline is actually, life is short, have an affair. This is what the world feeds us. But God's standards are so, so, so high. We think I'm better than most people because I'm not doing that. But yet God says, well, not even a hint, not even a little bit, not even a tiny bit. And, and did you know that the Greek word translated as sexual immorality is actually the word porneia, which is where we get the word porn. And what it literally means is anything that causes arousal outside of your marriage. That's what it means. And God says not even a hint so let me ask you a question. Just think about this. Just think about this. If that is truly the standard of God, ask yourself this. What is a hint? What's a hint? Is a second glance a hint? Is lingering past the magazine rack at the store a hint? Is dressing provocatively a hint and causing others to stumble a hint? If those things are all hints, if those little things are hints, the internal things, the lust in your heart, you might as well have committed adultery, hint. If that's a hint, then what are things like pornography addiction and strip clubs and prostitutes and affairs or sleeping with your boyfriend or girlfriend or living together before you're married, no matter how old or young you are? It, I'll tell you how this feels to God. It absolutely breaks his heart. It crucifies Jesus over and over and over again. But in the world we live in, even among some Christian circles, it is absolutely normal. But you know what else is normal? It's normal to live with pain and regret. It's normal to have depression. It's normal to have anxiety. It's normal to go to your doctor and get a pill. It's normal. It's accepted. It's so common. It's normal because we approach these things and we say, well, we're getting married anyway. What's the big deal, right? We're already there. 
Or we say, well, I can't, I can't really marry him because it's going to mess up my deceased spouse's social security. So we're just going to live together and pretend like we're married, right? Even though it's clearly against God's law, God's standard. Or my favorite from, from young people is, all right, let's have a house and let's have kids and let's have a dog and let's have a checkbook. And, 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 but I'm going to do everything in our life's going to look like we're together except for the marriage part which was God's first institution that he invented. He values marriage so much, so much, so much. It's a glorious, glorious, glorious thing. You know, it might make financial sense to do those things, right? But does it make spiritual sense? Does it make moral sense? Does it glorify God to live that way? When he clearly says, a hint, a hint, a hint, not even a hint, It's heartbreaking. According to one article that I read, up to 65% of men and up to 55% of women will commit adultery before the age of 40. Isn't that staggering? 65% of men and 55% of women. It's not just men. Women struggle with this too. Just like the the pornography things, it's not just men anymore. Women struggle with this too. And this is normal and it's happening and it's happening so often because we refuse to take it serious enough to create moral margin to protect ourselves because we have this approach to say, it won't happen to me. I'm above that. All the while we are tiptoeing down the cliff while holding a copperhead and swinging swinging it by one hand by the tail and holding a 45 to our heads doing all of these things and all of these risks, but it's not gonna happen to me, right? Like I'm above, I'm the one. I'm the one. I'll get past this. So what do we do? What do we do? What do we do? Do we take this seriously enough to create margin, moral margin in our life to protect the things that really matter to us. If your marriage is important, if your walk with the Lord is important, if your relationship with your kids and your parents is important, what do we do? Now I'll give you four quick suggestions to do. Number one is decide today to draw the line. Decide today to commit to it. Decide today that every time you push the line, you know that you're going to be pulled farther and farther. Every time you push the line, you know you're going to be pulled farther and farther. Every time you allow your, your sin nature to entice you and sin is birthed, you know that, that the devil is pulling at you and say, I want to draw you and it gets bigger and bigger and greener and hairier and uglier and uglier and uglier. And next thing you know, it's fully grown and it's death. Decide today to draw the line to be better. Number two, ask God to protect and guide you. You cannot do this alone. You can't do it alone. You need God. You need his power. You need the Spirit's power to overcome. You need accountability partners. You need men or women or a spouse in your life to help you. Number three, avoid dangerous situations. Avoid dangerous situations. This means avoid time alone with the wrong 
people. Avoid time alone with the wrong people. Be at that, the teacher's lounge with such and such or the truck stop where there's always that beautiful waitress or internet access by yourself to be proactive, to know this is something I can't do, so I'm going to avoid it. Number four, guard your eyes and your mind and your heart. In the book of Job, Job made a covenant with his eyes to not look lustfully at a woman. He made a covenant. That's serious. That's every man's battle kind of stuff. Great book, recommended. They have every woman's battle too. Made a covenant with his eyes. In short, this is about being smart enough and being proactive enough to create moral margin for yourself and for your family. Now, I try to be with God's help and with my wife's help, to be very careful and proactive about moral margin in my life. And I want you to, and you know why? You know why that's important? Because I don't want moral failure to ruin my life. Because the lies of Satan will convince you that what he's selling is better than what you have but what he's selling is a very short-lived pleasure. I don't want it to ruin my life. And I don't want it to ruin your life. See, I want my sons to grow up knowing that they have a father who is a man of God, not a father who is perfect, but a father who is seeking God and who is living pure by the power of the Holy Spirit. And I want my future daughter to know that she has a father who doesn't objectify women and who always treats their mother with honor and respect. I want my wife, I want my wife to never worry a day in her life about my integrity and my devotion to her. I want her to feel secure and blessed and treasured and protected. I don't want my wife to live in fear that someday I might not come home because I went home with a waitress. And I want my God, the one who sent my savior, Jesus Christ, I want him, the one who pulled me out of sin and filth and horror and transferred me, I want him to be honored with how I use my body, my heart and my soul by how I flee from sexual immorality. And I want that for you. Because the rest of the world says it's normal. It's not a big deal. I mean, the line is way over there. I haven't crossed it. So you know what? You know what, though? It's wise to say, well, the line's over there, but I'm going to step back here. Because even though the line's right there, I know that the farther I get away from that line, the smarter I get away from that line, the more Christ-like, the more holy, the more righteous that I am. Is it different to create moral margin in your life? Absolutely. Is it weird? Absolutely. Will people laugh at you? Absolutely. But is it important? Does it please God and honor God? Absolutely. Is that the most important thing to live for? I think so. So absolutely. And I hope that's true for you. So I'm gonna pray and the worship team's gonna come up. And if anybody would like to pray, the altars are always open. Um, judgment-free zone, or we can talk and pray afterwards, all right? Let's pray. The worship team's coming.
Father, I ask you in this moment for your Holy Spirit would work in our lives in a way that only you can. Because Lord, I know that there is so much pain and so much guilt and so much hurt. God, I even know that right now there are some here that are dying inside knowing what's going on in their lives. And Lord, I pray that you will minister to them in a way that only you can. Minister them in a way and set them free and show them as you convict them as your Holy Spirit that you will say, hey, this is something that needs to be taken care of. I'm not saying it's going to go away instantly. I'm not saying it's going to, you're going, to, going to stand up and say, okay, it's all done. But I'm just going to say things are going to have to happen. Decisions are going to have to be made. But forgiveness can be offered through the blood of the cross. So Lord, I pray that you will convict us and guide us and motivate us and heal us. And Lord, just make it important enough to each and every one of us to take it seriously enough to not have a hint of sexual immorality in our life because it is playing with fire. It's sticking my hand in the mouth of a copperhead and Lord, I don't wanna do that. I don't wanna live like that. So Lord, protect us, guard us, protect our marriages, protect our relationships with our kids, protect our hearts, protect our eyes, protect us from these evil desires that bubble up within us and call us to these evil things of the world. Lord, protect us. Make it important enough to us that we don't let it happen and we're proactive. Guide us, Lord, and speak to us. May we all live to glorify your name in everything we do. May it be for your glory, body, mind, and soul. In Jesus' name, amen.